The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come here again knowing that we need to hear from you, from your word. So we pray now, come through your word by your Spirit, and open our eyes to see the glory of Christ, that He'd be exalted in our hearts, that we would worship Him, and that that would overflow into obedience to Him. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we talked last week about the, the theme of the, the family of God as the new temple of God, meaning that it's a living, moving, breathing people of worship. And today, what I want us to see in this theme of obedience is that worship and obedience are connected. Sometimes we talk about those like they're different categories in the modern day. Like there's worship, that's what we're doing this morning. Then there's obedience, like it's a separate part of life. But worship and obedience are connected. So I just want to read verse 41 to give you a picture of what I mean. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the word I want to point out there is worthy. Why can they rejoice in their obedient suffering? Because they know the worth of their suffering is connected to the worth of their Savior. Right? He's so worthy that they almost can't believe that they would ever be invited into kind of His work, His joy of suffering. He is the King of kings. He is their Savior. He is the Lord of lords. And so this morning, one of the things I want to do as we go through the book of Acts, one of the, the dangers you might start to encounter is you start to feel like these apostles are superheroes. Like they're doing all these things you can't do and you might start to try to conjure up in yourself some kind of obedience that doesn't come out of worship. And what I would love to do is just blow up any paradigms you have this morning of rote duty-driven obedience and instead see obedience as the fruit that blossoms from the root of worship. Now, these apostles did not need to be coaxed into obedience. right? This isn't like kids when you're at home and your parents tell you to go do something right? and you, you argue and you complain and you sigh and then you finally do it right? because you have to. Right? That, doesn't, that doesn't honor your parents. Right? This is the kind of obedience that comes from knowing I have a Father in heaven who loves me, who is for me, and certainly whatever He tells me will be best for me, so I'm going to do it. Now, this is not to say that the apostles were perfect. But I think the difference in what I so long for among us as a people is that Jesus was so real to them that obedience was their only option. He was just so real to them in in every moment of their lives. So they just kept finding themselves going to hard places for the sake of the name of Jesus because he was so real and they knew that he was worthy of that. They were devoted to the word and to prayer and to witnessing because Jesus was worthy. 
This is good news because it means it blows up our paradigms of duty-driven kind of rote obedience. No one wants to do that anyways. That's what rote means, right? I don't really want to do it. But it means also that the problem when we're not obeying is much deeper than we might want to realize. For me, for you. So we have this acts ambition, right? To dive into the Word, in prayer, to seek to speak the name of Jesus to anyone who will hear. Last week we saw Ananias and Sapphira, and we saw this need for repentance over areas of sin. And what I want to do as we think about these things, and as we wonder, why don't I do these things? I've just been asking myself these questions. Why, why am I not on my face more, in tears more, over my neighbors who don't know Jesus? Why am I, why am I not eager to, to love my neighbors? Why am I not as eager to get into the Word and prayer sometimes? Why am I not as passionate to share the Gospel? And I want to challenge us to go all the way to the roots of our disobedience and apathy. So, so why is there reluctance to share the Gospel, but all sorts of excitement to share all sorts of other things in my life? Right, We're all sharing things all the time. Why are our lives so busy that we have no time to be with Jesus in the Word and prayer? What is it about that sin issue that's besetting that just keeps me coming back? And at the root, it's a worship issue. It's an issue of who I think Jesus is. Is He that real to me? Do I feel like He's really with me in the room, right? As I'm driving, as I see my neighbors out shoveling, The issue is we haven't yet comprehended the worth of Jesus. We haven't yet submitted every area of our lives to His Lordship. We haven't yet experienced what it is to truly walk with Him and listen to Him and gladly submit to Him. I don't want us to read this passage and all the other passages coming up in Acts and have us look at it like these apostles are superheroes. Like we could never be like them. We could never see these things happen among us. Instead, I want us to read this passage and see what's really there. These apostles knew the worth of Jesus Christ and therefore they didn't have any choice but to obey Him. Like if the King of Kings is that real to you, like you think He's in the room with you, He's with you, He's dwelling in your hearts, He owns everything, what are you going to do but obey? Out of worship and fear and reverence. So let's dive into point one here and begin to see this story released and obeying. Listen to verses 17 to 25. It says, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them... We found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple, 
in teaching the people. Now remember what's happening before this story. We saw last week that there's this radical generosity of the people of God. We saw that there was this radical kind of miracle of divine judgment as God would not be mocked by Ananias and Sapphira in their deceit. We talked about the power and presence of God among his people to see multitudes healed physically and multitudes come to know Jesus. And it's in light of that context, these things happening, that the Sadducees, the high priest, is going to call everyone to Jerusalem and say, we've got to figure some things out. We're going to put them in prison, make sure the threat is kind of taken care of for a day or two, and we've got to get together and figure out what to do with these people. They're becoming a bigger problem than we anticipated. So why does he do that? He says, he tells us, jealousy. He was jealous of the teaching and work that Jesus was doing among his people. They thought they had killed him. Thought they had gotten rid of him, but here Jesus is still doing and still teaching among his people. This is the ugliness of the human heart, right? Just, just on display for us. This is what the human heart will do to maintain control and power and comfort. We can do this in churches. <laughs> We want to maintain our power and control and comfort. We can do this in societies. This is what the human heart wants to do. I'm comfortable. I'm safe. I have control, so I will manipulate and move the chess pieces around. Whatever I need to do, strategize for my comfort and security and power. We see this all the time. So what happens as they try to carry out this plan? The Lord just says, no. You're not going to do it. The angel of the Lord comes and opens up the prison doors without unlocking them, apparently, whatever that means. This doesn't happen every day. He, he brings them out and tells them to go and speak the words of this life, life in Jesus. God's purposes cannot be stopped, and these apostles must keep bringing eternal life to those who will trust in the name of of Jesus. So this is what a, a people full of the life of Jesus looks like. Right? Suffering comes, they get beat up, right? They don't go back into hiding. They just go, we're going to talk about Jesus again. We're going to speak of his name again. He is our life. Christ is our life. So we're going to keep telling of this life. Imagine you've just been thrown into prison and you get broken out, right? It's it's cooler when like thousands and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. Like 5,000, 3,000. I'm getting pulled off the stage of prison and another 5,000 are coming to know Jesus. But now you've been brought to prison. You know that they're coming for you. And I just thought like, I think if I got broken out of prison by an angel, I'd be like, can I go take a nap first or something? It's been a long night, Right? Or maybe I'd want to take a few more precautions, be a bit careful, right? They're huddling up over here, planning for us. Maybe we should huddle up over here and make a better strategy. We should go more, more covert, maybe go more under the radar. But that doesn't happen. They just head right back to the temple and start teaching about Jesus again. Why? Worship. Right? Jesus is worthy of this. So they do the only thing they know to do. They just obey. The Lord says, go teach. And they go, 
okay, we're going to go teach. You're worthy. The power and presence of God is with them. Jesus is real, and he must be made known with all that they have to give. So when the high priest and his council send to the prison to get them, they find out they're not there. The doors are locked. The guards are there, but the disciples, the apostles are not. They're at a loss. How could this happen, right? They don't have a category for this. For all the guards being there, all the doors being locked, and the people being gone. So someone comes and tells them the apostles are again in the temple teaching the people, which means their plan to stop the message of Jesus did not work. Can you imagine how frustrating it would have been to be these rulers? Well, at least we can throw them in prison. Except they're not in the prison we threw them in. Can you just imagine this? How frustrating it's getting. And so they, they begin to plan and plot again. And how frustrating would it be to be going against a people where you can't even leverage their safety or their security against them? Right? Like that's the power they have. We're going to hurt you. We're going to hurt you. We're going to cause you suffering. We're going to cause you pain. And they're like, you're not going to hurt us. Jesus is our safety. Jesus is our security. To live is Christ. To die is gain. We count everything else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him. You can't do anything to us. Don't you know that you tried to kill Jesus and he's still alive? That's what's behind these apostles. So we get to point number two, responding and obeying. So here's what they say in verses 26 to 32. It says, And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. So they're a little nicer now. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So I just want us to pause here and notice a contrast between the rulers and the disciples. The rulers had just thrown them in prison, and now they go to get them, but not by force this time. Right? They're not dragging them away this time. Why? It says because they are afraid for themselves. They're constantly in self-protecting and self-preservation mode. Constantly trying to defend themselves, protect themselves, guard themselves, right? maintaining their power, maintaining their comfort. Therefore, they're constantly strategizing, constantly anxious, constantly scheming to get their way. And this is the opposite of the disciples. There's like no strategy that we can see here. Right? There's no scheming. There's simply devotion to Jesus Christ and making Him known. They just go where He says. Their strategy is, listen to Jesus. He tells us to go here, we go there. They just do what He tells them. Breathe in the Word, breathe out prayer, do what He tells us to do, repeat every day of our lives. This is their new life. And this matters for the moment we're in. We are not going to strategize our way into a revival. 
It's not going to. Never has happened, never will happen. We can't make the right political moves or be savvy enough to get our way. And even if we could, that's not the goal anyways. We don't want to be a people seeking that kind of power. Someone recently said to me, like, how are you managing the church, the expectations and the frustrations and the, all the stuff? How are you managing? How are you thinking about it? How are you strategizing to, to make this thing go forward in these hard times? And my answer was, I don't manage anything. Not a manager. Don't want to manage ministries and compartmentalize life and try to figure out strategies to get you all to try to come with us anywhere. Don't want to do that. I just want to pastor a people that knows it already has all the power it needs. A people that simply says, what do you want from us, King Jesus? We're not strategizing anything. We're not trying to politicize anything. What do you want from us? We're sinners, but we are glad to give our lives to obeying you and making you know. No more games. No more pretending. No more facades. No more self-protection. Just a people with the Spirit of God following Jesus. I want to be the kind of people that are just accused of what these disciples are accused of. Do you see the accusation here? I want us to be accused of this. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. I want to be a people accused of that for the next 40 years. In other words, they're saying you just keep telling people about Jesus. You just keep telling people that we crucified him when we're sinful and in need of repentance. You keep saying he rose again and he's the king. You keep calling people into these words of life. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop sharing the gospel. Stop with the radical obedience. Stop following him or at least just keep him to yourself. Get in line and be quiet. And Peter's response is just so great. <laughs> I love this. You're accusing us. You're intending to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter's like, well, yeah, because you killed him. What do you want me to do? So it's true. Peter's response is we have to obey God. Can't stop speaking about Jesus because God tells us to. He's the God of our forefathers. This is where all of history has been headed. This is the point of the Old Testament you say you know so well. You missed it. And yes, you killed him. But God raised him up. He didn't stay dead. He was raised. He ascended to the right hand of God. You're not our leaders. He's our leader. You're not our saviors. He's our savior. We must follow him. No, we're not going to get in line with some political power. We're going to proclaim Jesus Christ. It's our only choice. He's given us the Holy Spirit and we are witnesses to continue the work of Jesus here in this place. So I just want to encourage you, we should not misuse this passage about lesser things than the gospel. We can have all sorts of debates, and we have, and we will continue to, and I fully expect it, to continue to figure out, man, what do we do with the government regulations that are out there? Like, let's have those conversations. I'm happy to. Call me up. I'm not that happy to, but I will keep having them. And we can keep talking about them. But we can't from this text... It's not what this is about. And it dishonors this text to act like this is about that. 
This is the powerful religious party of the day commanding the people of God to stop speaking the name of Jesus. The apostles can't stop. He is worthy. He's the leader. They follow their leader and speak his name. They can't stop speaking the words of life. They can't stop proclaiming his death, resurrection, ascension, and life that is available for all who will repent. That's what's at stake here. Will you be allied with comfort and safety that these leaders can bring you, or will you follow your leader, Jesus Christ, and keep speaking his name? I can promise you, if anyone ever shows up and tells us to stop speaking about Jesus, we will not comply. I promise you. But, but hear, hear me on this. What if instead of misusing this text for other purposes, we let this text examine us as a church? We have, right now, freedom to speak the name of Jesus. Like, there's, there's no one right now coming in there and storming and pulling me off the stage and throwing me in jail and gathering all of you up. It's just not happening right now. Not saying it couldn't happen someday. Maybe it will. And we will gather and we will speak the name of Jesus. But instead of misusing this text right now for some other end, let's take it as seriously as it is and let it examine us. We have the freedom to speak the name of Jesus. Are we filling our neighborhoods with his teaching? Like, are we guilty of the accusation made against the early church? Are we telling people that they're guilty sinners, but that through repentance they can have eternal life in Jesus? Is that what fills up our neighborhoods and social media pages? Would people say of you, you have filled this neighborhood with Jesus. You are a nuisance. And then you like shovel our driveway and offer to babysit our kids and bring us meals and we're sick. We're sick of it because we want to hate you. You're so kind and self-giving. You keep talking about Jesus. Like, that's the problem that these rulers have, that these apostles and these people are so loving and they want people to hate them. Would they say that about us? Are we that kind of people? I want us to be guilty of this accusation here at the South Campus. Because that would mean we'd be a people that worship King Jesus deeply and are offering the people around us the life and forgiveness that is found in his name alone. Can you imagine that? If we just got this reputation around us, like there is this church off 535 in Lakeville. It's like almost in Iowa. Just keep driving. It's a strange people. They, They love each other. I've just seen them love each other and meet each other's needs and care for each other. They love their neighbors. They serve those around them. They rejoice in their suffering. They're always praying. And they say it's all because of Jesus. There is no other name by which we must be saved. If we believe Jesus is Savior and leader, then we have to follow Him. And we have to speak of Him for the sake of His glory and the ultimate good of those around us. So here's how I want to challenge you this morning. Just two simple steps. Would you at least begin to pray for some unbelievers you know? Just begin to pray for them. 
They need Jesus. Eternity is at stake. Would you begin to right now, in this moment, just take a minute and just think, who are three or four unbelievers I can just begin to pray for? And then would you begin to find small and big ways to fill your neighborhood and your social media presence with the teaching of Jesus? Would our lives make us guilty of this accusation? That's what I've been praying for. All right, point number three, rejoicing and obeying. Verse 33, uh, no revival broke out among the leaders. Instead, it says that the leaders want to kill them. So obedience is costly. Obedience is costly. It doesn't happen right here in chapter 5, but it's coming, and it will come for most of these apostles and disciples. So these leaders are not happy to hear the accusation turned around on them again. They feel their power and control slipping away. Execution seems to be the most easy way to stop this movement. However, one of their honored teachers stands up and reminds them of some history, and here's what he says. He tells them, be careful what you're going to do. He reminds them of several little movements that had popped up over time, both of which had vanished as quickly as their leaders had perished. In other words, the the movement was a, a fragile thing according to this respected leader. It was tied to one human being. Once the leader dies, the movement fades away and you don't have to worry about it anymore. And he's saying, but if it's God that's leading this, you're not going to be able to stop it anyways and you may even be found to be opposing God. So here this religious leader is speaking a prophetic word without him even knowing it. This is exactly what they're doing. They are opposing God in futility. And the reason this movement will never die out is that the leader will never die. Jesus is alive. And the rest of the book of Acts, I think that this is early in the book of Acts. We hear this prophecy early in the book of Acts that we can see through the rest of the book of Acts. Oh yeah, Jesus is still alive. This movement is not going to die out. And as you sit in these seats today, and as you sit at home and you're watching this, you are proof that He was right. You cannot stop God's plans and God's purposes. You cannot stop the working and teaching of the risen Christ. The rest of Acts chronicles the expanse of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The rulers here are worried about Jerusalem being filled with this teaching. And here we are in Lakeville, Minnesota, 2,000 plus years later. And this teaching has filled many more places than Jerusalem. And now we get to be in the game. We get to be a part of the story. We must continue to fill these neighborhoods and the nations. It's going to happen. So... It's going to happen. It's going to go to our neighbors. It's going to go to the nations because God's plans can't be stopped. The question is, when are we going to dive in and get in the game? (laughs) When are we going to go, man, the privilege we have to be a part of the story, let's get in the game. Be encouraged this morning. There is plenty to be a bit fearful about in our society. There's plenty to lament over in our society. Plenty. I'm not denying that at all, but let this comfort you. Our God will not be stopped. He will not be stopped. His purposes will not be thwarted. There is a day coming, sooner than we realize now, when every tribe, tongue, people, language, and nation will be around the throne declaring the worth of the Lamb who was slain. That day is coming. No one's going to stop it. The name of Jesus 
will be preached. Even when humans are chained and imprisoned, the gospel is not chained. In fact, we often see throughout history that when the culture looks most bleak, when Christians are most persecuted, it pleases God to show His supremacy in that moment. His power working in what looks like weakness and suffering and oppression. So if you're praying for revival right now, just know what you're praying for. Probably a kind of suffering that shows the supremacy of Christ rising above it and people being saved in the midst of it. We see this in the Roman Empire. We see this in the underground church of China today, and we see it in so many other places throughout history. God will not be stopped. His purposes will not be thwarted. Look at the kind of people this produces. Look at verses 40 to 42. It says, When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So this is the kind of people God is working to create. God is always working in every age, in every place, to purchase a people that will rejoice in radical obedience to Jesus, that will suffer for His name because their hearts are filled with worship for Him as their Savior and leader. He creates a people that will not stop telling others of the forgiveness, joy, and life they found in Jesus. So our question now is, will we join in the centuries-old story? Will we get in the game for the cause of Christ? Will you begin to pray for your neighbors and for the nations? Will you begin to think about who you can share the love of Christ with? Will you spend time in prayer and as Jesus prompts you, will you obey? Will you just go? Do what He says. Here's the application. The witness of obedience. It's not a spelling error. I had to tell communications that this week. Now, (laughs) here's the beauty of this people that radically and joyfully obeys in every circumstance. Throughout the book of Acts, we're just going to see over and over again, they do it by the power and presence of God. They are witnesses because of His witness. They are witnesses because of His witness. Listen to verse 32. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So is Peter describing two different things here? They're witnessing, the Holy Spirit's witnessing... I don't think so. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's talking about one reality. They are witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit who is the ultimate witness. Jesus is working and teaching by the power of the Holy Spirit in them and among them to make much of his name. Their witnessing and their obedience flows from worship which is created and empowered by the Holy Spirit because they're the new temple of God. That's why the mission is unstoppable. Because it's God's mission and God's doing it in His people for the sake of His name and no one cares about His glory more than God Himself. He will not share His glory with another. The mission will continue to march on. Jesus will be made known through someone as He works by His Holy Spirit to do it. So listen to the Great Commission in light of this. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20 It says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I often try to uh, put myself in the place of the people hearing this. And that would have sounded like a really big ask. Go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. Baptize them, like we just did here this morning. And then just teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Just go do that in every place in the whole world. That's your job. Like, how in the world can we do that? Right? Like, most of us are not talking to our neighbors about Jesus. Most of us don't know our neighbors, right? And that's the suburban life. Like, we get up and we go to work. Not anymore. Now we get up and we stay in our pajamas. But it used to be we get up and we go to work and we drive to work, maybe try to give five minutes for a coffee stop, a drive through right? And then we get home, then maybe we run to a practice or an activity, then we come home, we shut the garage door, maybe we go in the backyard behind the fence, and we get up and we do it again. That's a suburban life. So how are we going to get to the ends of the earth when we never leave our backyard? Well, here's how we're going to do that. We're going to do it because Jesus has all the authority and because Jesus is with us. We're going to let him begin to transform our lives and transform our worship and transform everything about us so he actually begins to reprioritize our activities and reprioritize our lives and reprioritize our loves and reprioritize our finances and reprioritize everything for the sake of his name. And be encouraged. The one who has all authority is with us. The one who has all the power is with us. The king of the universe is with us. This is why we want you to go deep in the word in prayer. This is why it's like the application of every sermon. I don't don't know how many people I talk to and it does not make me angry or frustrated at all. But it makes me very sad people that feel so distanced from God, so disconnected to his power. And I say like, tell me what you're seeing in the word in prayer. And they say, I just haven't had much time. I just want so much more for us. I want us to get in the fight. I want us to go after Jesus together. I want us to make an eternal difference in our neighborhoods and in the nations. This is why we want you in the Word and prayer. We want to be about leaning into the power and presence of God. We don't want to play games. We don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to manage programs. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and we're called to pray in the Spirit. This mission is great. So many in our neighborhoods don't know Jesus. I love Acts 17. It's become this paradigm for me where it says that God is the one who determines the boundaries and the dwelling places and the times where people will will dwell. Why? In order that they might feel their way to God. How's that going to happen? Because he's going to put temples in every neighborhood. You. You. Right? And, and your spouse and other families. He's going to put temples in every neighborhood that are walking and living and breathing centers of worship for Jesus. And they're going to invite those people there. Have you ever walked through your neighborhood in that way and gone, God placed people here in this boundary for this time and he put me here in this boundary for this time so that they might feel their way to God and I might be the one to tell them about Jesus. So many in the nations don't know Jesus. And I want to I care more about that than I do now. I want us to care more about that than we do now. So persecution may come. I'm not saying it won't. I think it 
will. It always does eventually. I don't know when. Insults will come. Those are already coming. There will be cost. We don't know how much right now, to be honest, in the grand scheme of all of history, there's still not much cost for us. But while that's still true, let's take advantage of it. Let's not get kind of comfortable and happy and complacent and passive. Let's take advantage of it. Let's get on our knees and in our Bibles alone together so that the Spirit can come and remind us that Jesus is worthy of our obedience. Let's be done playing church games. Let's be done managing programs. Let's be done checking off boxes in our life. Let's be all in for this mission. Let's be all in for this Savior. Let's be all in in our obedience to King Jesus. Let's let today be the day where we say, Lord, I don't want to do that sin I've been doing for the last two decades. Help me. Set me free. Today. Right? If He's King and Lord of everything, let's just stop playing games. Let's stop managing our lives. Let's stop just managing our comforts and our rights. And let's just go all in to costly lives for Jesus. What, what's it all about otherwise? Like, I, I hope. I know, like, I know my job is to get up here and tell you how much Jesus is great. <laughs> but I, but I, I hope that it doesn't just sound like, oh, he's just so radical. I hope it doesn't sound like that. I hope it sounds like, I want in on that kind of life. That's what life is in Jesus Christ. So let's begin to fast and pray and read our Bibles and so that in a year or two or five or seven from now, people would say, you have filled the south suburbs with the teaching of the name of Jesus. And they wouldn't mainly mean me up here most Sundays. They'd mean you in your neighborhoods, at your coffee shops, on your sports teams, welcoming people into your homes, caring for the poor. That's what they'd mean. Not mainly, there's that guy that preaches every Sunday. That's the church. Right? Church is not a spectator sport. My hope is not to stand up here and you get all your friends to come listen to me. I want you to go tell all your friends and your neighbors and your family about Jesus Christ. So let's take a couple moments now. We're going to come to the table together. And as we do that, I just, in this moment, would you be just asking the Lord, wherever there's besetting sin in your heart, unrepentant sin in your heart, Lord, set me free. Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy of my worship and you're with me. And even maybe in this moment, begin praying, Lord, help me overcome my apathy. Help me reprioritize my life that I might make much of you in every area. And I'll come up in a couple minutes. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Five five four one five. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.